Well, today is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all of you that are here. And uh, just like on Mother's Day, we take time to stop and to thank those uh, in our lives, maybe biological or adopted or whatever the case may be, those that uh, have filled that, that role of being a father. And the challenges, the difficulties uh, that fathers face today um, are real, they're present, just like for mothers. And um, this next week, over uh, the next week, Monday through Friday, on the main Whitneyville Facebook page, as well as on the WBC Church Family page, we'll be uh, posting uh, five different videos this week from Stacy Baker. Stacy is the director of the Men's Center at Alpha Grand Rapids, and we are uh, part of their um, mission support. And so Stacy came this week, and we recorded uh, five different short videos, maybe 10 to 15 minutes long, on different aspects of being a father. And so I think those will be encouragement to you. Uh, hopefully they're practical. They're able to give you some help as you think through some of these things. Uh, but we want to just bring attention this next week to our fathers and to those that lead and those that uh, serve in that capacity. And so if you're a father today, uh, we want to say uh, congratulations. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Um, and uh, continue to support and encourage one another. One of the things that uh, Stacy and I talked about in uh, one of the videos that we'll uh, be posting this week is what can the church do to help our fathers, <clears throat> to engage with our fathers? And oftentimes, there's a lot of fear that exists. There's fear on everything. Satan loves fear. And um, fear can keep us from engaging with one another. And oftentimes, there are men who maybe are older and men who are younger, and they say, you know, I, I would enjoy a relationship maybe with an older guy to kind of who's been down the road a little bit to know some things, and, but I'm, a, I'm afraid to go talk to them. I'm afraid to ask them. I'm afraid to engage with them. And maybe sometimes there's older men who would say, I would love to invest in somebody younger. I, I have some trades. I have some things that I can do. I have some things that I could teach, but I'm fearful to go talk to a younger guy. And so I think, I'm, I don't know if I'm younger or older right now. I think I'm kind of in the middle. And um, so I can say on both ends, um, all you need to really do is just get over your fear, get over yourself, and connect. And the one way that guys always connect, all guys everywhere connect, is in food. I mean, that's a true story. Um, you know, not every guy's into cars, not every guy's into woodworking, not every guy's into sports. All guys are into food. And so uh, sometimes it's just as simple as saying, hey, um, can you want to have lunch sometime? And, and maybe for fear that there might be only just you and that other person, invite some other guys. One of the things that I've really enjoyed through, uh, through the last several weeks has been uh, every Monday, there's a bunch of us now, it's kind of growing, um, that are getting together for lunch. It just kind of started with the deacons and they were coming and counting and now it's, it's growing. And so uh, if you want to get together, I know guys get together on Tuesday, or they did at Fortune Chef, uh, guys get together at other places. There's plenty of opportunities to engage our men together. And the fear that we have about what am I going to talk about to this guy who's 27 years old who I don't know anything about, um, start with food and then work your way out from there. And uh, so I encourage you to uh, engage as best as possible. Encourage one another. And uh, those of you that have been down the road a little bit as a father, find a younger guy that you can invest in. And uh, we'll all concede that no one is omniscient. We'll all concede that no one is perfect. But we can help each other, encourage one another, and uh, engage in life together. So happy Father's Day to you. And uh, we look forward to uh, just a great day. Hopefully you have some great plans uh, with your family and uh, can enjoy some time together with them. 
So this morning, we are continuing our series on the fact that we are family and looking at over these uh, last several weeks, looking at various statements that uh, should define us, should um, enable us to kind of have a, have a focus and have a direction and have things that we're striving for. We looked uh, four weeks ago at the fact that we are being led by the Spirit. And then we looked at three weeks ago, we are unconditionally loving God and others, I guess two weeks ago, uh, we are unconditionally loving God and others. And then last week, looking at the fact that we are glorifying God in our thoughts, our words, and our actions out of Psalm uh, 19, verses 1 through 14. Well, this week with Father's Day and um, being Father's Day, we are looking at this matter of we are being led by qualified men. And so this will be an interesting matter to address today. And, um, and I wanted to, sometimes I think fathers, um, you know, Mother's Day, you're supposed to be warm and fuzzy, right? Mother's Day, it's supposed to be nice and flowers and roses. And, and then Father's Day, there's kind of like this expectation that, man, you can just let the guys have it because they probably need it. Well, we might need it, but I don't want today to be like, let's just rear back and, you know, a bunch of slackers, get your, you know, get your acts together. That don't, that's, not, that's not the heart of this at all. But rather to say, okay, what is it that should be um, things at the forefront of the men of our church? What should be at the forefront of their thoughts and their ideas? What should they be thinking about? How should they be looking at this issue of leadership? I appreciate it. Dan uh, Tran communicating that earlier this morning uh, with the call to worship about humility and about being an example and serving, and that really ties into what we're going to be addressing this morning. And so uh, this morning, we are being led by qualified men. Where we, need to, um, where we need to challenge the men, I hope that today we can challenge them. Where we need to encourage the men, I hope that today we can encourage them. So I don't want this to be like, man, let me just rear back and let the guys have it because they probably need to be slapped on the head. But let's encourage them, let's uh, engage them, let's help them to think through this aspect of the fact that our church should be led by qualified men. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And Father, we are thankful for the fact that we have men within our church who are godly men who desire to follow you and who desire to be used by you. Father, we know that no man here on this earth is perfect. No husband is perfect. No father is perfect. You alone are the perfect father. And so as we think about our lives as men, as husbands, as fathers, may we not compare ourselves to others around us, but may we have a view of you and a vision of you that enables us to be the father, to be the husband, to be the leader you want us to be. And Father, where those of us that are men need to step up, be accountable, be engaged, then Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will work today. Where those of us that maybe need encouragement, they need help, they need wisdom. 
Father, today I pray that your word would bring that to them, to us. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us, you care for us, you sent your son to die for us. And Father, we look forward to the day when we are gathered together around the throne of Christ, worshiping for all of eternity, him, and giving you the glory and the honor for all that has been accomplished. We pray these things in your son's name, amen. So this morning, we're gonna be looking, if you're looking at your outline, if you have it, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, really, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You may look at that, and you may say, well, there's a lot of stuff in there. And we're either going to go in like a machine gun, rapid fire succession, or we're going to be here forever. We're not actually looking at all of these nuanced words. We're not actually going to be looking at, we're just going to be looking at a big, high-level picture of these particular set of verses. If you want to read a book um, other than the Bible that kind of goes into a good description of this particular set of verses, 1 Timothy chapter 3 especially, and Titus 1, uh, you can pick up the book Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons, uh, Deacons, Deacons um, by Thabiti Anyabole. And um, he wrote a book uh, probably seven or eight years ago entitled Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons. And um, he, the whole book is just on 1 Timothy 3, pulling apart each one of these particular characteristics of, uh, of the, the leaders of our church. And so today, we're not planning to go through a definition of all these words, an understanding of all these words, a look at all these words. That's something that you can find in, in other resources, obviously. But we want to go through and say, okay, to the man who looks at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and is overwhelmed, to that man, we want to draw our attention to a bigger picture than just getting down into the weeds, if you will, of all of these words and all of these characteristics and all of these things. Charles Spurgeon stated this. He said, to compromise on leadership is the most suicidal act a church can commit. For those of you that have been involved in church and church life, uh, like I have since I was born, you have seen the good and the bad and mostly the ugly of church leadership. You've seen people lead who had no business being in leadership. You, see, you saw people who were put into positions because they had money or they had influence or they had a position in, in a worldly economy that suddenly we thought, well, if they can run a business, they must be able to run a church. Or we saw people put into position because of the, the money that they could bring to our ministry. And over the course of time, the church as a whole has suffered because in many cases, churches have compromised on leadership. In many cases, churches have not followed a biblical mandate. And there is a, certainly a pragmatic temptation. I will not sit here and say that um, how could you ever have done that? How could you ever have had bad leadership? How could you have ever have had somebody in place? Because I get it. Sometimes as a pastor, you sit there and you go, okay, we have to have leadership. And we don't seem to have anybody. And well, you, you have blood flowing through your body. You're alive. And so I tell you what, to make this work, why don't you serve? And sometimes men get put into positions of leadership who are godly men, who are 
people that love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, but aren't necessarily engaged in this process of leadership as Paul is going to lay out to Timothy or to Titus. And so that's what led Spurgeon several years ago to say to compromise on leadership is the most suicidal act a church can commit. If we think about our church and we think about what we should be focused on and what we should be thinking about and what we should be doing within our church, then we must say leadership, who we have as leadership, is a very important aspect. I remember when I came to Whitneyville seven years ago, there was a lot of noise, if you will, about all the things that people wanted fixed. And my guess is, in a few weeks, there will be noise that will make its way to Jonathan that will say, well, the, uh, you need to fix this, and you need to fix this, and you need to fix this, and why can we fix this, and how can we have this, and what is this gonna fit into? And some of those have merit and worth and value, and there's good things in there. But when we think about church life, if we're gonna say, where are we going to invest our time and our energy? Not all of it, obviously, but where are we going to make sure that we are investing our time and our energy? A church that is functioning as God intends is going to say we will function or we will invest time and energy in producing men and women who can serve in roles of leadership. That's the goal, that's the heart. A church should be saying this is, a, this is one of the primary tasks that we're going to work on is allowing ourselves to have leaders who are following what God has desired for them. And so this morning, we look at this matter of the fact that we are being led by qualified men. So then the natural response is, well, what is a qualified man? If our leadership is to be a qualified people, what does that look like? At IBL, the definition that we use of leadership is this. We would say it is a Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God, influences others to embrace God's objectives. I don't know, did we lose that slide, AJ? I might have gotten lost in transition. It's okay, we had a nice little picture, but it's fine. There it is, it's pretty. It's a Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God influences others to embrace God's objectives. When we think about leadership, who should be leading? Who should be leading the church? Who should be involved in, in being an elder, involved in being a deacon, or involved in being a, a director of some ministry? Who should be leading our churches? Well, we would say that person is being led by the Holy Spirit. That goes back to our first message in this whole series. We are being spirit-filled. And a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God, not themselves. Leadership, people get into leadership for their own glory, their own honor, their own prestige, their own accolades. It's a Holy Spirit-led process whereby a Christ-like individual with a heart to glorify God influences others to embrace God's objectives. There's a lot of influence that happens in a church. Unfortunately, sometimes that influence is for things that are contrary to God's word. And so leadership should be defined in this with these components. So let's take a look this morning at four things that qualified men are and two things that qualified men are not. And let's look at this from a higher level. Again, we're not gonna go through, don't worry, we're not going through all 15 of these verses or 13 of these verses and looking at every one of these words. If you want, I have a, a document. Jonathan has a document. I think he has a long document right now. 
Uh, we all have documents that we could send you if you wanted all the nuances of these words and all the way they play out. That's not our goal this morning. Our goal this morning is to say, let's try to think through, based upon this text, based upon Titus 1, based upon these texts of Scripture, let's think our way through and process our way through men what should you be thinking about when you think about being a leader? Because I'll be honest, I know that there are some men who sit in this room who say, it terrifies me to think about being a leader. It terrifies me to think about serving in some role as being an elder or being a deacon. It, it, it's overwhelming to me to look at this particular passage of scripture and say, I could never meet up to that. So I just won't try. And so... When we look at these texts of scripture and we look at Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and we look at Titus 1, 5 through 9, we need to think about a higher level picture for a minute. And first and foremost, qualified men, your outline is very simple, qualified men are willing. Qualified men are willing. They're willing to serve. They're willing to be taught. They're willing to learn. They're willing to be involved. They're willing to say, I, I, I don't have all the answers. I, um, I don't know everything that I'm doing, but I'm willing. I'm willing to allow God to teach me. I'm willing to submit myself to his lordship. I'm willing to um, allow myself to be influenced by other people. I'm willing to allow myself to be that piece of clay that God will shape and mold and work. Paul uses a couple of different words here as he begins to talk to Timothy about this. Um, he says in verse one, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If you look down in verse eight, you see the word likewise, which means in the same manner as the elders, this is what the deacons need to do. So in the same manner as, there needs to be a similar concept of aspiration and desire for the deacon as well as the elder. In other words, it's not just elders who have to be willing and deacons we get you by guilt and by force. It's both elders and deacons need to be willing to do this. There needs to be a willingness. And Paul uses two words here in verse one. He uses the word aspire and he uses the word desire. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that word aspire means to reach out and snatch. In other words, you see something going by and you, I want that. The ice cream truck, right? That comes through your neighborhood, playing the fun music. Your brain instantly thinks, ooh, I'd like to, I'd like to have that. So when it comes to leadership and this aspiration of leadership, it's a desire to, to reach out and snatch it. By reaching out and snatching it, we're not automatically saying, well, of course I should be a leader. I mean, I'm awesome. Um, I'm God's gift to leadership. I'm God's gift to wisdom. I'm God's gift. It's not that at all. It's not a thing of saying by, by reaching out and wanting to snatch it, I'm saying I'm perfect and I, I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm the best ever. I'm just simply saying I, I'm, I'm willing. I'm a piece of clay. God, I'm willing to be used. If you wanna use me in this capacity, I am willing to be used. So Paul says, if you aspire to this office, you have this, this aspect of reaching out and snatching. And then he says, he desires a noble task, a worthy task, an honorable task. The word desire there means to long for or have your affection set on something. Now, if you've served in leadership, you struggle with this word desire. 
Because if you've served in leadership, you understand that not all that glitters is gold and not everything is wonderful in the church life. There are some of you today who are sitting in this auditorium or who are watching online who come into church and you will get up and you leave and you think, wow, church is amazing. Like this place is great and this place is awesome and everybody loves everybody and they smile and they say, how are you? And we go on our way. And then there are some of you who have gotten into leadership and you go, oh, wait a second. Not all that glitters is gold. Not everybody is always happy. Not everybody is always wonderful. Not everybody is always pleasant to deal with. And so maybe I don't know if I want to do this. So when Paul uses this word desire, which means to long for or have affection set on something, some of you may have served in leadership in years past and you thought, there's no desire left in me for leadership. I don't have time to get bombarded with texts and emails and phone calls. I don't have time to get bombarded with drama, and I don't have time to get bombarded with dealing with the messiness of people's lives. So no, I don't have a desire for that. So thank you, Paul. I've eliminated myself because my desire is long gone. I don't have a desire to long for or have affection set on. I think this stems from a heart that is willing to follow God's leading. It's willing to do as God allows, God enables, God enables you through his Holy Spirit to do. In other words, this desire is not always just something that you say, you know what, I, I just really absolutely love to do this. It's not always fun. Being in leadership is not always exciting. It's not always grand and glorious. There are some really neat things about being in leadership. You see God do some really amazing things in people's lives, and on the same side, almost on the same week, it seems like, you can see things that are imploding in people's lives. And so we come to this idea of being willing, and we may say, well, I could aspire to this, to reach out and snatch it, but man, I, my desire is long gone, or my desire is really struggling. My desire is, is, is really been taken advantage of because of years past when I had to serve and minister and function in, in leadership. The question we need to ask ourselves is, would we get to a point through God's help, through God's enablement, that we would once again be willing to do this? Sometimes you need a break. That's why we have established breaks for our leaders. Elders serve a three-year term. Deacons serve a three-year term. They can re-up again if so desired by them and the congregation, but there's a natural kind of break in there so that they don't feel forced into constantly having to serve. Sometimes we just need a break. Sometimes we just need to say, you know what? I've given a lot these last three years, and I need to kind of step back a little bit and take a break and just be a congregant and just be refreshed and just, just kind of get my bearings about myself. And then, as God allows and God enables me, I'll step back into that. I think men should have a perpetual relationship and cycle like that. I think all men should have that. The premise that I would operate under is this. All men, all believers that are males, as long as they are physically and spiritually capable of doing this, all men should be seeking to say, God, can you use me in a form of leadership for the service of your body in the church? That's what every man should be constantly thinking about. Every man should be constantly saying, God, maybe right now I'm not willing, but would you allow me to get to a point in the near future where I am willing and I, I do desire and I am able to serve? There's too many men who are willing to just simply sit back and say, well, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody else will do it. And God will provide and God will take care of, but the fact of the matter is, men, there should be a willingness 
to say, I, don't, I haven't arrived, I'm not perfect. I don't know how all this works, but God, here I am. And if you can use me, please use me. Second of all, qualified men are proven. They are proven. You look at this list, 1 Timothy chapter 3, for both the elders and the deacons, and it is daunting. When you look through this list, you say, okay, let's just read these words. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Say, I don't know that I can, like, maybe two of those I could get. Is Paul delusional when he puts this list together? So what happens then is men look at this, and they go, I'm not, I can't, no, I can't do that. So I guess to be in leadership, you've got to be like God, and so I think I'll just kind of sit in the back row or in the front row, or in the middle row, or wherever I sit. I'll just sit there and watch other people. And maybe they've got it all figured out, and maybe they've got it all mastered, and, and maybe they know everything that they're supposed to do, and, and maybe they've got it all together, but I don't have it all together. And so God, I'm just gonna kinda X out First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and I'm gonna hope and pray that somebody else steps up and does this. When Paul talks about these qualifications, and we'll talk about this later, Paul is not requiring us to be perfect. But Paul is saying there needs to be a proving process. There needs to be a process by which we prove people. In other words, somebody waltzes in to Whitneyville Bible Church and they say, my first Sunday here, guess what? I'd like to be in leadership. Okay, that should be a major red flag. But we say, okay, that's great. We're glad that you have that aspiration and we're glad that you have that willingness, but we don't know you. And until we know you, you're not going to be in that position. Well, how do you get to know them? Well, Paul gives to us, here are things that we need to be looking at. Let's watch his family. Let's watch his household. Let's watch his relationship with Christ. Is he a recent convert? He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation. Uh, He's got to be thought well of outsiders. We just put Jonathan through the elder selection process. Michael Hornick has gone through the elder selection process. Dave Tanner went through the elder selection process. All those things that they had to go through was a chance for us to prove them, a chance for us to, to engage with them in such a manner that we can say, you know what, we, we don't know everything about Jonathan or Dave or Michael. We, we don't know everything there is to know, but we feel confident that we know enough based upon God's word that we've proven them. One of the things, the, the stipulations that we require for elders is that they have to have a, a reference from an unsaved person. Why do we do that? Because verse seven, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That word outsider actually refers to those outside the church as in not saved. In other words, a good elder isn't somebody who just has good relationships with other saved people. A good elder is somebody who has relationships with unsaved people and still has a good testimony. And so that's why we require that. That's why we make them give us the name and we call them and we contact them and we say, hey, 
your name was given to us. This person is being uh, looked at as far as being a pastor of our church. Can you tell us about your relationship with him? Asking outsiders, asking unsaved people about their character. So we look at this, and on one hand, men may look at this and say, this is daunting. This is overwhelming. I can't do this. I can't, I can't live up to this. So you know what? I'm not gonna go through this process. I think Jonathan would say, I think Michael would say, I think Dave would say, they've appreciated, I think, they've appreciated the proving process of being refined and being challenged and being, being taken through that process of being grilled. Our deacons go through similar but different process. There's a actually a process that our deacons have gone through in training and teaching and helping them understand not only who they are to be as a character and an individual, but then how does church function and how does church work and how do the deacons and the elders work together. So there needs to be a time of proving one another. That's why Paul tells Timothy in verse 10, they need to be tested. And let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves, prove themselves to be blameless. So it isn't a matter of just finding people that have warm blood flowing through their bodies who happen to be alive and say, let's throw you into leadership, but to say, let's trust God and let's prove those people that are going through this process. Thirdly, qualified men not only are willing, not only are they proven, but thirdly, they are humble. I appreciate what Dan brought out in this process this morning of our call to worship, that they are humble. You look through this whole process, and it may be easy for you if you come through as an elder, you come through as a deacon, and you say, you know what? That's not bad. I passed 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 8. <laughs> Thank you all for recognizing the wonderful man that I knew I was all along. I'm so grateful that you are graced by my presence. If at the point you do that at the end of this process, you have eliminated yourself from the process. Humility is going to be the mark of a man who comes through this, not one more club in his hand that he can use to beat people to say, hey, I am an elder at the church. I'm a deacon at the church. I, let me tell you who I am in my position. Nobody should care about your position. They should care about your character. They should care about who you are as a person in your relationship with Christ. Nobody should care, oh, this is it's Pastor Dave. Wow, Pastor Dave. I'm just Dave. And you should care more about who I am as a person than what position or what title I happen to possess. So as leaders, as we think about leadership in our church and we think about men in our church, they are willing and they are proven, but those men must also be humble. As you look at this entire process, it's about humility. It's about saying, I am not perfect, I have not arrived, I am not Christ but I'm willing to allow God to work through me. I'm willing to go through a proving process and I am willing to be, as Dan mentioned earlier, that humble servant that gets down and washes the feet of other people. Let him that thinks he is the greatest become the least. I serve and I minister. John 13, Christ washes the feet of his disciples, the lowliest job reserved for the lowliest of servants. Christ, the ultimate, becomes the least. So leadership Humility should say this. You know what? There is no job in this church beneath any elder of this church. The toilets didn't get scrubbed and they need to be scrubbed on a Sunday morning. I better not say, I'm Pastor Dave, I don't do that. What did I better say? 
hey, do you know where the Clorox is and the wipes and the stuff I can clean the bathroom? Because it's not beneath me. It better not be beneath me. If we sit there and say, well, <laughs> I'm a deacon. You know, I'm kind of like not one of you anymore. I'm a deacon. So those are jobs that you do. These are jobs that I get to do. And I'm going to be up here, and you're going to be down there. And I've got the backing of the elders, and they told me I could do this. So you know what? Why don't you guys do all the serving, and I'll just kind of watch you. That's not how leadership should function. Leaders who are qualified men, leaders who are qualified people, functioning, serving, and ministering are humble people. The humility of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, became in the likeness of man, became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. So if your Christ, which you never will be, if your Christ, even Christ, went from here to all the way here, willingly, therefore, leaders who aren't Christ were never there, we better be willing to go from here to wherever, willingly, happily, humbly. Good leadership is willing, it's proven, it's humble. But then fourthly, good leadership, qualified men are ageless. I, I toyed with a lot of other words, but I came back to this word because it's gonna provoke some thoughts within your mind. What do you mean, ageless? Well, let's talk about being ageless. It's not that, you know, we're not Dick Clark, the guy who never seems to age. You ever notice that? Dick Clark in the 60s looks the same as Dick Clark in the, you know, 2000s. Like, what the, I don't know how that works. Some people are just like that. They just like, you've always been that way and you always are that way. That's not what we're talking about. Leadership is ageless. Qualified men are ageless. In other words, when you look through this list, when you look through the list in Titus chapter one, what don't you see? You never see an age. You see some aspects of life, which I will concede must be there. You see some aspects of life. In other words, there's a chance for him to kind of be a man, kind of be out on his own, be, be able to, to kind of come out from underneath being in high school and maybe even living at home during college. He's come out of that, and now he's proving himself as a man. But Paul doesn't put a requirement on as far as age. Some churches do, but Paul doesn't. In fact, that's why Paul says to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Why did Paul tell Timothy, don't let anybody look down upon you because of your age? Well, because Timothy was the, really the beginning process of an entirely new concept of leadership. Let's, let's back up from Timothy Let's back up to the very beginning of scripture and say, let's look at a biblical theology of leadership. If you went back to Israel and back in the Pentateuch and back in the old system, what would you have had to have been in order to be a quote elder? The word elder actually in the Old Testament has the idea of having hair that comes down, the, the side that the entrails that come down. They're, they're talking about men who are old in age. In order to be an elder, you had to have age. Well, then we came through the process of being an elder meant as we move through 
the time of, of scripture. We move into the latter part of the Old Testament. Being an elder meant you had some position of, you had some prominence, you had some wisdom, and age wasn't as much of an aspect of it, although it was a pretty big component of it, but some other factors were involved in being a leader. And, and so you could be prominent in the community or you could be influential in the area and you could be an, an elder. It wasn't necessarily tied to a specific age bracket. Well, then we come into the New Testament. And Paul begins to talk about leadership and Paul is planting churches and, and Paul is taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And, and what does Paul establish? Paul establishes, listen, there are actually qualifications for God's leaders in church. Yes, there's an age aspect, but age is not the primary consideration. This is why Paul tells Timothy, listen, there are people who are gonna think less of you because you're young. Timothy, you're in a brand new era of church leadership. You're in a brand new era of doing this and don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Why? Because age isn't listed here. Can you find in 1 Timothy 3, he's gotta be of X number of years old? No, you're not, you're not gonna find it. He's gotta be able to be proven. He's gotta be able to lead his household well. He's gotta be able to manage his children. There's no mandate that he has to have children. If he does have children, he's gotta manage them well. He's gotta have a chance to prove it himself, but Paul doesn't put a time, an age bracket in here. What does Paul tell us? Let's prove this man. Let's engage this man. Let's find out what character this man has. Where before, back in the day, elder meant old age, Paul now says it's not about age. It's about your character. Not that they didn't have character necessarily. But Paul says, let's not get so hung up on the age thing that we only think, well, in order to serve in leadership of a church, you have to be 60 some years old. That would eliminate me. I'd have 17 more years before I could serve in church leadership if we took that opinion. Now, I'm not saying we should take some young person and throw them right into leadership, especially if we haven't proven them, but Paul does not tie age into the equation. So when we think about qualified men, we say, you know what, they're willing, they're proven, they're humble, and they're ageless. In other words, I'm not going to focus as much on their age. So is it possible that you could have a 24-year-old elder of a church? It is possible. They've proven themselves if they've engaged in this process, if they've allowed themselves to be used by God for this, and God has shown that, you know what, they are qualified, they, they, they have these attributes and these characteristics of what Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 3, Paul doesn't tie age to it. That's why he reminds Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Instead of letting them look down on you, you, Timothy, be an example to them. In other words, rebuke them through your character, which is what? Be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So we say, oh, we, we, we've got a young guy that we'd like to put into church leadership. Okay, well, what kind of example is he? Is he an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity? Great. And we also can't do the flip side. Well, you know, he's 60, so he's automatically qualified for leadership. Remember again, there's no age. So Paul doesn't say, well, everybody over 60 is automatically qualified. Everybody under 60 is automatically disqualified. Paul would say, listen, the character of the man is what you want to look at. The character of the person is what you want to engage with. And so Paul says qualified men are what? They're willing, they're proven, they're humble, they're ageless. But let's look at two things that qualified men are not. Qualified men are not. 
First of all, qualified men are not alone. Not just from the fact that hopefully there's other men serving with them. But look at what Paul reminds us in verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. If you want, it's probably not the most debated topic in this passage, but probably one of the top two or three. What does Paul mean in verse 11? Is he just simply talking about deacons' wives? And if he's just talking about deacons' wives, why didn't he say something about elders' wives? Or maybe Paul is actually talking about deaconesses. Or maybe Paul is just talking about women in general. There's a great debate. What is Paul? What do we do with verse 11? Does verse 11 prove that we should have deaconesses? Does verse 11 prove that only deacons' wives are to be held to at a standard and not elders' wives? Why does Paul only address the deacons' wives and not the elders' wives? So there's a question. What is, what is Paul actually driving at with the women here? Our church has not taken any kind of official stance on any of that necessarily. Other than this, we did last year or a year and a half ago, established our statement, the elders did, on the role of women in church. I personally, if you ask me what my personal opinion about this particular verse is, I would personally say for women who serve in ministry and in leadership of church, they, they need to kind of fit this parameter. I take more of a generalized look, not like this is the deacon's wife only and the pastor's wives don't have any qualifications or this is deaconesses per se. You can argue deaconesses all day long. Phoebe was a diaconia. She was a female servant. So I particularly take this to say this is women who are going to serve and minister. They need to be dignified and not slanderers and sober-minded and faithful in all things. So women, you have a role, then we can deduce. Women have a role in fulfilling ministry in the church. It's not just simply taking care of the kitchen and the babies. Because God has actually gifted women to be competent in areas other than kitchen and the nursery. Some churches believe that that's the only place women belong. But we would have to argue biblically that is not okay. So what do we say? We have to say this, men, you're not serving alone. You are serving with other women. Other men are serving alongside of you. In other words, it's not a, a male-centered thing. It's not church leadership is not strictly limited to men are in charge of everything. And women, if you could just, you know what, uh, feed us when we're hungry and take care of the babies, uh, we'll call it even. That's not biblically okay. Because Paul is giving credence here in verse 11 to women and to their character and to who they are. If you question this, which you can, I would encourage you to do two things. I would encourage you to do a study of every time Paul mentions a woman who ministered with him. Go through the New Testament, typically at the end of the books that he writes, but sometimes scattered throughout. And go look Count them up, write them down. The number of women Paul mentions being part of his team. And I guarantee you they were doing more than the kitchen and the babies. That's why we see in Philippians, Syntyche and Yodae, compel them to get along. My fellow servants, my fellow ministers. Paul makes it very clear his role and his stance and his view. Paul was actually countercultural to his time when he thought about women. It's unfortunate that the 
liberal side of Christianity, if that even exists, has called Paul a misogynist. Paul was not that at all. And then I would tell you to do another thing. I would tell you to go look at the list of women in the genealogy of Christ. For those that struggle with saying, should women be allowed to be involved in serving and in ministry and in leading and doing different things, we need to look at the biblical theology of scripture and say, what is the biblical role of women? And so to that end, about a year and a half ago, the elders stated five things with regard to the role of women. So I wanted to kind of remind us of that today, lest we come out of this thinking, oh, well, I'm not a man, so I guess I have no place in the church other than the kitchen and the nursery. That's not the truth. So here's our five statements. The first statement is this. We acknowledge and strive to defend the fact that each woman, regardless of age, race, color, or ethnic background, has the same value and worth as any man and will be treated with respect due to a person who has been created in the image of God. Every woman in this building is just as equal, just as valued, just as honored as any man in this building. The unfortunate reality is there are some churches who do not function that way. So we would say this, we hold the value and the worth of women. The second statement that we made about a year and a half ago was this. We acknowledge and strive to defend the fact that women have God-given abilities which have been given to them to encourage, help, and further the cause of Christ within the church. We acknowledge that some of these gifts are more visible than others, and to that end, each woman who has clearly demonstrated an ability to lead in certain areas while maintaining the spirit and character of a godly woman will be encouraged to serve in a leadership role. So now if you read the second statement, you get a little nervous because you say, "Well, well, well, wait a second, what leadership role are we letting them serve in? because you're making me really nervous. Well, that was why we had the third statement. We acknowledge and strive to defend the fact that though the scriptures speak of a woman not usurping the authority of a man, this has to do with matters of theology. For example, teaching men or making official declarative statements on doctrinal matters within the church and matters of ultimate authority within the church. For example, eldership. To that end, we acknowledge that there are appropriate times and situations where a woman would actually be in a position of leadership in the role of a team facilitator. In that context, it would be possible for a woman to help lead a group that would include men. In this situation, there is not a violation of scripture. And some of you are nervous. Here's the reality of life. God has gifted women in some amazing ways to do some amazing things. And if we think that men have all the giftings to lead and to function and to fulfill all of ministry, we're fooling ourselves. So what we're saying in this statement, we put this out, this isn't what we just did this week, we put this out a year and a half ago. What we're saying is this, women have been given some gifts and talents and abilities by God and we better let them use it. But there's limitations to how they can function. And according to scripture, the limitation to that extends to the role of being an elder. Right now, we've never officially declared a role of deaconesses, and I, that's, somebody else can figure that one out. <laughs> if you want to have that conversation, knock yourself out. But the fact of the matter is, women need to be able to serve and minister as God has gifted them. We have Bible, the Scripture, which is giving us some parameters, but we have to also say, you know what? Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you belong in the kitchen or the nursery. In fact, maybe you're a woman, you probably don't belong in the kitchen because you can't cook. I don't know. We can't gender stereotype people. I don't belong in the kitchen. That's, I know that's where I don't belong. 
Fourthly, we acknowledge and strive to defend the fact that given the use of the word kephale and how it relates to the headship of authority as seen in the Trinity, in the church, in the marriage relationship, and within the family, we hold and will defend the fact that although women are valued and they have leadership ability, they cannot fulfill the role of elder. This is not due to any sort of competency issue, but solely based upon the heart, intent, and teachings of Scripture. And then fifthly, we acknowledge and strive to defend the fact that one of the fundamental duties of the elders is to provide a place where women can safely worship, free of harassment, free of bias, free of discrimination. To that end, we will do our best to provide an environment where the women of our church can thrive and grow in their walk with Christ. So when we think about leadership within our church, qualified men are not serving alone. And they will seek to defend the truths of scripture which give freedom to women within biblical parameters to use their God-given abilities. What I'm about to say may shock some of you with regard to IFCA and freak you out, but just let me get all the way through it. About four years ago or so, five years ago, IFCA began endorsing female chaplains. And some of you may freak out at that statement. But you know why they did that? They did that because there was a number of churches that were dealing with women who had been abused sexually. And who could they send these women to? They couldn't send them to another man to counsel them. They needed to send them to qualified women who could actually work these women through some horrific things that they had been through. And so the IFCA made a declaration about four or five years ago that said, we're not Everyone is clear, we're not condoning pastors, women as pastors. But what we're simply saying is in the role of a, of a medical chaplaincy, in the role of a, of a woman who has the ability to be recognized in a hospital or to be recognized by some other entity out there, the IFCA is willing to say, we are willing to give them an endorsement that says they've proven themselves, they've been through a series of theological trainings. The women actually have to go through a theological training. They have to be vetted. And then they would say, you know what, in order to minister into a life of another woman, we will endorse those women, giving them the backing that they need in order to minister. If you want, you can talk to Joe Smith. Joe Smith has been around this area for, I don't know, a million years. Joe is an amazing guy. He started Ada Bible Church, and then he started Jenison Bible Church, if I'm remembering my history correctly. Joe is about 90 years old, close to it. He walks hunched over. Joe has had probably more influence in the Grand Rapids area than any other man I've ever met. And Joe, about six years ago, seven years ago, as an 82-year-old man, took on this task of overseeing chaplaincy of the IFCA in terms of the medical world, the medical aspect, and was actually the leading proponent of this particular ministry. And trust me, there was a whole lot of intense conversations that occurred. Because people get nervous and scared. What do you mean? You're endorsing a woman to be a chaplain. This is the slippery slope to evilness. There are times and places when a woman needs another woman who is biblically qualified to talk to her and engage with her. And the IFCA, I was proud of them to say, we're gonna actually take that step to say we value women, we understand the biblical parameters, and we're providing a resource so that women who have been hurt by men who have been sexually abused can have a legitimate person to turn to 
to talk to. I shouldn't be that person. I don't wanna be that person. But we need to make sure that we have biblically qualified women who can speak into the life of other women. And so the IFCA has said, these are our direct parameters. Everyone is clear. We're not bumping this one and we're not bumping this one, but we're saying we need to provide an opportunity for some women who have gone through some serious things to be able to get the theological help that they need. And so you may hear that, you may see that. That actually happened a few years ago. It's been in place now for for a while. We have to be able to allow women to serve in their God-given abilities and their God-given talents. Finally, the second thing that qualified men are not, they are not perfect. You look at all of this, and it's easy for men to look at this and say, hmm, I have to be perfect in order to be in leadership. I have to have it all together, right? I mean, there's like 5,000 things here, and i got to meet all of them. So then what do we do? We automatically assume, oh, well, you're in leadership, so you must be perfect. I'll just go on the record to say I'm not, and I'll speak on behalf of Michael and Jonathan and Dave. They are not, as much as we love them. They're not perfect. Tim and Myron and Dave, not perfect. I know it's a shocker to Krista, but they're not perfect. (laughs) We are not perfect. So if you're a man and you're sitting out there and you're listening and you're watching this and you're, you're processing through scripture and you say, I, I must have to be perfect in order to do this, we would say, no, you really, you're not actually ever gonna be that way. So you don't have to be perfect. We want you to be willing. We want you to be proven. We want you to be humble. We want you to be able to be considered regardless of age necessarily. We want you to understand that you're not ministering alone. And we want you to understand that you don't have to be perfect. Because there may be some of you sitting out there that say, you know, I don't know. I've never really thought about leadership. I've never really thought about serving in that capacity. I've never really thought about those things. And quite honestly, I don't want to because that's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. But I'll say again what I said at the very beginning. It is my firm belief that every believing male should be striving to be to a point where they are qualified to serve in leadership. Every believing male should be striving to be to a point where they are qualified to serve in leadership. If you're a male and you're a believer and you say, I'm not gonna do that, that's one thing. But you need to be striving to be to the point where you could be qualified to do that. In other words, the character that Paul is communicating to Timothy, the character that Paul is communicating to Titus, these are things that you could pull out and say, this is what I want to strive for. Maybe I never actually get a title. Maybe I never actually get a position. But this is the character that I want to have. This is the character of person that I want to be. Because when we have a church that as men that are willing to say, I wanna strive for this character, we're gonna have a church that has men that disciples their family and teaches their family and instructs their family. We're gonna have a church that has men that engage in the lives of other men. We're gonna have men that are exponentially impacting this church for the cause of Christ. It's the Second Timothy 2.2 principle where what I've heard of people before me, I'm gonna commit to other men who are gonna be able to faithfully teach others as well. The impact that Whitneyville Bible Church could have if we had men who were striving to just simply fulfill the the characteristics that Paul communicates to us would be tremendous. Maybe you never get the title. Maybe you, you never have a position. Fine. 
But if we have a church full of men who are striving for this character, we'll have a church that will be drastically, exponentially impactful for the cause of Christ. And so as a church, as we think about moving forward, say, what does God want for us? You know what this church needs? Is men and women who are willing to say, you know what, we're not perfect. We haven't arrived. We recognize, we recognize we're not serving alone. We're willing to serve wherever God leads. We're, we're, we're humble in our character. We're willing to be proven. We're willing to go through the testing. We're willing to be challenged. We're willing to be held accountable. We are willing to be the types of people that Paul is talking about for those that are in leadership. It's a daunting task. One of the things, I don't think it's been a fun experience always, but one of the interesting things for me is to watch newer guys come into leadership in a church. And if they've never served in leadership before, they kind of come in with, you know, rosy colored glasses. Ooh, we're, we're really excited to serve. And then the, the junk of life happens. And then the eyeballs are big and they're like, ooh, okay, not, because sometimes we glitz and glamour, right? We like, wow, be a pastor, be a deacon. Everything's wonderful. You're amazing. And we realize that not everything in church is amazing. And some of you in this room have served in leadership in the past and you've gotten burned out and disillusioned. And I understand that fully. But all of us need to continue to ask ourselves, what does God want for us? Am I willing? Will I be proven? Am I humble? Am I capable? Do I understand I'm not doing this alone? And do I understand I do not have to be perfect? God desires us as men and women to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be men and women of character, to be able to function within the body of Christ as he desires. We have men that have served faithfully, and yet they're going to step out of their time of serving. The question will be, who will come in their place? Where will those men come from? How will we disciple them to be ready to do that? How will we engage them to be able to do that? God wants us to have men and women who are qualified to serve and to minister in that capacity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us and encourage us today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.